Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to another episode of Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. The new U.S. Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, made a name for herself in national education circles as a champion for state-level efforts to provide taxpayer-funded vouchers to send children to private, mostly religious schools. North Carolina is one of 13 states with such a program, the Opportunity Scholarship Program. Today on the show, we're going to take an initial look at this program, including how it's funded, what schools participate, and how the state oversees it. Like every week before we tackle the main topic, we open with our segment we call Headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last week, a bill moved through a key House committee in the North Carolina House to address concerns that had been raised by the state's public school systems about new class size ratios that were included in last session's budget. Many school leaders had warned that it may result in budget shortfalls and significant cuts in teaching positions like in arts and PE to make up for what has been called an unfunded mandate by the General Assembly. We'll continue to track this legislation. The state of North Carolina has a new help wanted sign out again for a superintendent to oversee the state's achievement school district that was created by the General Assembly last year. The ASD, as it's known, will take control of some of the state's lowest performing schools. This is the second time the job has been posted, but now includes a higher salary range of $103,000 to $174,000. More than 50 people from across the country applied for the job when it was first posted last year. A selection committee headed by Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest interviewed dozens of candidates, but no one was ever recommended for the job. A new report out of the Business Roundtable, a national association of business leaders, is calling for more investment in early childhood education. Jim Goodnight, you see on the screen here, the CEO of Cary Bay SAS, led a task force, and he says increased participation in early childhood is a key strategy for improving student reading skills and job readiness. Today, North Carolina has funded slots for less than half of the 60, 66,000 children who are eligible for NC Pre-K, our program for at-risk four-year-olds. Finally, while the nomination and confirmation of Betsy DeVos as U.S. Secretary of Education was certainly cheered by school choice advocates who focus on private vouchers and expanded for-profit charter schools, an unexpected beneficiary may be the U.S. public education system. The DeVos confirmation hearing drove a public outpouring of support for the nation's public school systems, with many being polled saying public schools are essential institutions that need to be strengthened and not weakened. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about North Carolina's private school voucher program, which is known as the Opportunity Scholarship Program. Our first guest is going to help us walk through the law that created it and how it's being implemented today. She is Jane Weddick. She is the clinical professor of law, a clinical professor of law, and the director of Children's Law Clinic at Duke Law School at Duke University. Thanks for being here, Jane. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just start out. One of the things I wanted to do on the show today is I don't think a lot of the, our viewers and the public really knows a whole lot about this program, frankly. So can you help me um, help us understand sort of you know how the program came about, sort of what's you know, who's eligible, you know, sure. sort of how that initial program works? Sure. So the program started um, about three years ago. It was passed by the legislature, and what it does is it provides a taxpayer-supported grant, also known as a voucher, to a student 
to assist with the tuition at a private school. So families can apply, and there are a certain number of vouchers that are available each year, and the amount is $4,200 it is the maximum voucher. Per student per year. Per student per year. So um, the eligibility requirements are tied to the free and reduced lunch limits of the federal program, uh, although they're 133% of that. So right now it's about $60,000 for a family of four is the max income. So if your family has less than that, you're eligible to apply for your students to get a voucher. Right now we've had a few more people apply than there are vouchers available, so there's a lottery that is in place. Once a student gets a voucher though, then they're uh, top priority to get a voucher for the remaining years. There's some other priority for the lower, uh, the lower three quarters of the income range, and there is uh, some money set aside for entering first graders and kindergartners. Right now, are there, um, where can the scholarship be used? I mean, we, we, mentioned, we mentioned these are private schools, but are sure. there um, guidelines? I mean, a school just, if they say, sure, we'll take it, they can, there, are there any guidelines for those schools? Well, um, any private school that is registered with the state of North Carolina can receive a voucher. They have uh, to make certain commitments if they take voucher students. So. Um, primarily, they have to do the things that private schools in North Carolina have to do, which are pretty limited. They have to keep attendance records, and they have to, normal private schools have to test their children at grades 3, 6, 9, and 11. A school that takes voucher students has to test the voucher students at all grades, starting at the third grade. Now, none of that is public, um, so it's just that they have to test test the students. They have to make right. the scores available to the parents. Well, and that's one of the things I want to get into is to understand what, what the actually public and sort of visible requirements are. Now let's talk about the money a little bit. I'm gonna, sure. We're going to pull up on the screen first. I've got a chart uh, that shows the sort of the appropriations that have, you know, over the first five years of the program. Talk to me about how this is growing and sort of where it's going. Sure. So it started as a $10 million a year program, um, but the Appropriation is anticipated to move up to $145 million a year in the next 10 years. So each year they're adding money um, and there's authorized for an additional 2,000 students to get vouchers. So the anticipation is that it will grow to be $145 million a year and about 25,000 students. So, ten, so it started at $10 million a year and a half ago, two years ago basically, and, we, and then now we're talking about in 10 years time, $145 million every year. Yeah. Um, all right, now let's talk about, you mentioned pri these are private schools, mm -hmm. um, but what kind of private schools? And what, right now so far, what have we seen in the first two full years of the program? Sure, so um, the vast majority of vouchers are being used at religious schools, more than 90%. Yeah, we've got another chart we're gonna pull up and please, uh, keep talking. This is uh, the, the top five voucher schools yeah. and the amount of money we're talking about. Right, so 90% of the vouchers, actually a little over 90%, have been used at religious schools. Um, and remember, so they're private religious schools. They are not required to use any particular state-approved curriculum. They're not required to meet any state educational standards at all. 
um, so they're free. And met most of the schools are Christian schools um, that can offer a biblical education if if that's what they prefer. And this is we're talking some some significant dollars here. I mean, we, look, look, we, right. look, we we obviously talk about public education a lot on this show. I and mean, looking at the chart, we're talking about almost a million dollars uh, for each of the top five schools just in the last two years. I mean, right. this is um, and and expected to to grow exponentially. Right. So. Um, it's pretty clear that some of the religious schools uh, are being well supported by the voucher program. Right. Now talk to me, let's, uh, we've, we've got a couple minutes left. I want to talk to me a little bit about this um, idea of, of uh, transparency and, and sort of what we know and, and don't know um, right. in the program. That's one of I mean, critics of the program said we don't really know what the schools are doing. Sure. And um, so, of course, you know that uh, public schools have to produce lots and lots of data yeah. <laughs> about how their children are doing, but private schools don't. Um, now, the law does require that schools that enroll more than 25 voucher students have to make public the aggregate test scores of their students. So this year, or actually we don't have them for this school year, but for the last school year there were eight schools out of all the private schools that had to report their data. And all they do is report um, all their students together in an aggregate matter, how they scored um, on reading, language, and math, and they report out, again, all their students together, what percent scored above the 50th percentile as set by that test manufacturer right. and below the 50th percentile. So we don't know anything about grade levels or right. so there's a, race, and, 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 the, and so there's not a lot of sort of oversight in terms of what kind of tests what, what we report out. So right. we're going to get into that with our next two guests. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the changes that we've seen um, um, in, in terms of the uh, accountability for the program. But we appreciate you helping us get started here today, just understanding the sort of scope sure. and who's involved in the program. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of the Opportunity Scholarship Program. But first, as we go to break, see if you can answer this question. The Opportunity Scholarship Program is funded this school year total at $59.68 million. How much did last year's General Assembly budget project for annual funding by 2027? back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer D, $145 million? Last year, the General Assembly began pre-funding the next year's voucher budget and stated its plan is to add $10 million each year until this program reaches $145 million annually in 10 years. Now, our next two guests have a lot of expertise in the uh, Opportunity Scholarship Program, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We have Matt Ellenwood. Matt is the Director of the Education and Law Project at the North Carolina Justice Center. Matt, thanks for being here. And Jessica Holmes. Jessica is an education law attorney, and I should also point out Jessica is a member of the Wake County Board of Commissioners, so an elected official. So thank you for being here both. Um, Matt, I want to start with you. You heard Jane talking in the first uh, part of the show about this, the structure of the program. It started out um, with, we've seen some changes. So tell me a little bit about what has changed in terms of eligibility and um, uh, oversight since just in the last couple of years. Yeah, we've seen some of the changes were built into the original legislation um, where 
Jane mentioned right now the eligibility in terms of income is 133% of the amount needed to qualify for free and reduced price lunch, so about $60,000 for a family of four. That began at 100% of free and reduced price lunch. So it was built into the first year of operation that we were going to increase the amount of income that people could have and still be eligible. Um, the second sort of loosening that we've seen is that um, the number, the percentage of students who can be in kindergarten or first grade, and that's because it's a different justification for whether or not it makes sense to have those students enrolling in the voucher program because they've never been in the public school system. This was something that was pitched as um, a way for students to have another option who are in a low-performing public school. Right. Um, and the other thing is, is that those students would then be on the hook. We, we have to fund those students for 13 years all the way through to the end of their education. And so that number has been elevated to 40% of the overall number of people who are in the program. This is something that's really similar to what we've seen in other states where year after year the income guidelines get loosened and loosened and the program grows and grows. I think one of the reasons that's concerning is this was pitched as a pilot program originally. And so as you said, it's gone from $11 million to $145 million with no, really no information on how students are performing. And, right. Um, and that, and the, the information thing, and that's something I want to ask you about, Jessica, that's one of the uh, questions that comes up, and, and Jane got into it. There really isn't a lot of... Um, um, uh, accountability, transparency in how these, these schools, I mean, we don't have to know what the curriculum is, uh, there's the, the, the tests are not, you know, the same, that we really can't compare them to public schools. I mean, it seems like a, you know, for a pretty big program, um, a, a, a pretty large gap in terms of what we expect. In addition to the things that were mentioned previously, these educators don't even have to be certified. So that's yet another sort of lack of accountability. The teachers in the, in the private the voucher schools. The teachers in the private voucher schools do not have to be certified to teach in the state of North Carolina. So that is yet another concern. Um, on top of that, just the the funding proponent or the funding aspect is very concerning to me. We're spending millions upon millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars to fund private schools that, one, are not accountable and also have discriminatory policies in terms of their admissions. And well, explain that. What, 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 what's, I mean, obviously these are, these are religious schools, but what you're, are you saying that, uh, uh, that we have taxpayer-funded schools that, that literally don't discriminate and don't allow certain students to attend? The voucher program is, allows the private institutions to discriminate in terms of who they accept. Let me give you an example. So many of the vouchers go to private institutions that are religious-based. So for example, there are essentially religious tests that determine whether or not a student is allowed to even attend that school. Not to mention the fact that a religious school, for example, could state very clearly that we will not allow students who identify as LGBT to attend their school. And so in essence, taxpayer dollars are funding private institutions that are allowed to pick and choose who they wish to serve. Right. I guess this is obviously something that would, that would concern uh, the Justice Center too, right, Matt? Of course, yeah. I mean, I think this is, a, it's important to remember, this is a public money. This is a public program. Right. Um, and yeah, I, mean, I don't think anyone is suggesting that the re religious schools are, are, are you know, don't, right. don't have a role when parents have a right to send their kids to it. But the, I think one of the things we're trying to point out on the show today is that for our viewers to understand, this is your money. Right. And this is a public program. Right. And I think that's part of, part of my confusion over this is what we've seen is a real ramp up of accountability expectations in the public school system that it's, it's always more and more in terms of things like the A through F school grades. Um, as you said, there's a ton being reported. So we're saying on the one hand, it's good for public schools to have higher and higher levels of accountability to the public. 
while we're creating the separate pro the separate program that isn't accountable in any way. What do you think it means to for public schools? I mean, how does this sort of what is what is your long term view of things like the Opportunity Scholarship Program for? public schools, which still 80, 90% of our students, that's where they go. Right. Yeah, and, and first I'd like to address the name of the Opportunity Scholarship Act, which does not actually provide an opportunity for the kids that it purports to provide an opportunity for. So let's you know first address that reality. But when it comes to funding, uh, we're in a state where our teachers are being paid towards the bottom of the national average. Our principals are being paid towards the bottom of the national average. We're also at a place in our public schools where we're struggling for textbooks and technology, yet we're allotting millions of dollars on this continuum to essentially take money out of the public school system to fund unaccountable, discriminatory, private institutions that are not accountable to elected officials, that are not accountable to the very taxpayers that fund the voucher program. Right. Do you, um, there's sort of two different things we just talked about, Matt. Was One was the, the, the discrimination issues, but then get back to the accountability. I mean, sort of what, you know, how different is it, I mean, in terms of what is required for, um, I mean, Jessica talked about the teachers don't have to be certified, but how different is it in terms of testing? You, you threw out A to F school grades, which we've talked about in the show. Right, well I think as Jane mentioned, it's any nationally normed test that you can take in these private schools. That, that makes it very difficult to make a meaningful comparison with the public schools. That's what we want to know, is are students performing better, the same, or worse than their public school counterparts? And we have really no way of figuring that out because there's an infinite variety of tests nearly um, that you could take. So I think one, one thing that just is a sensible change to make to the program would be either to have these, these schools participate in the state assessments so we can make meaningful comparisons, or at least a, a smaller number of, of, private, of other assessments. There's, most of the schools take one of three tests anyways, and there's a way we could make not a perfect comparison that way, but at least a better one than we are right now. Well, a lot here. Um, we're going we're gonna to have to have you guys come back because we're going to keep talking about this program on Education Matters, I promise. But thank you both for being here today. We appreciate it. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. week Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week we spotlight John Farrelly, the superintendent of Edgecombe County Schools. Leadership Spotlight is presented by the NC STEM Center, strategies that engage minds. I'm about, do you have a heart for children? Do you have a passion for working in the community? And do you have the skills and abilities, regardless of your age, do you have the motivation to go in and be a change agent? I truly believe if you have a great leader, then you've got an opportunity to have a great school. It's not about politics. It's not about just some program just for the sake of implementing a program. It has to be of a true benefit. It's led by, it's iconoclastic, like leader who revolutionized the way our work looks and always charges us to rethink how we do school, especially in our school buildings, to kind of disrupt the system. We decided to open a global education school. Uh, it's an international school. It's a blend of international teachers who come from throughout the world. This has really, really been a game changer for our students. It shows them that there is really more to this, to, the, to their life, to the world, 
than what's just here in Edgecombe County. Throughout all of our classrooms in, in, in the district, regardless of the subject area, we've honed in on what are ways that we can bring the world to Tarboro, bring the world to Edgecombe County. We have a Spanish immersion program in the elementary school there. Our middle school students are taking a global studies course. All of our schools are now implementing uh, global strategies throughout the schools, um, specific global learning initiatives in each classroom. We're really excited about the culture of innovation that we are working to create here. We want to create the conditions for all of our students to become leaders. And we feel like you know, the, the way to do that is to, um, to think big, to think outside the box, to really believe that, um, that you know, all kids can achieve. We have truly, through global education efforts, rebuilt the confidence um, of the community and the public school system. When we think about community and we think about world education is understanding and accepting diversity in the world that we live in. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website, ncforum.org, and click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. Last year, the North Carolina Opportunity Scholarship Program spent $25 million in taxpayers' money to send North Carolina children to private schools. This year, the budget stands at $59 million, and in 10 years, the General Assembly intends for it to grow to $145 million every year. That means between now and 2027, nearly $1 billion of North Carolina taxpayer funds will be going to fund private, primarily religious schools. Given the dollars flowing to these schools, you probably assume the state would have accountability measures in place for how the money is being spent. Given how important it is that our children receive an education that prepares them for college and careers, you probably also assume that the schools are evaluated closely so the state can look at student performance and benchmark them against other schools. But you'd be wrong. In nearly all cases with private schools receiving funds via the voucher program, we don't know what they teach, how they spend the money, how the students are doing academically, and if they're being prepared for college and careers. None of the schools are required to publicly provide data that, that demonstrates their students' educational progress, and there are no guidelines for curriculum. Teachers at private voucher schools are not required to undergo criminal background checks or have a teaching license. While private voucher schools receiving more than $300,000 annually in taxpayer dollars must undergo an audit, that only captures a very small portion of the remaining, the remaining schools are free to spend taxpayer money out of the eye of the public. Now, voucher supporters will say that parents hold the ultimate accountability, that if they don't believe the school is doing a good job, they'll withdraw and the school will eventually close. That's simply not real accountability when it comes to spending a billion dollars in public money. Frankly, it's a stunning argument. Uh, the lack of transparency and accountability is troubling enough. But in 2017, should we really have a taxpayer-funded program for schools that have religious litmus tests for who can and can't attend and policies that bar gay and lesbian students from attending? One voucher school in Charlotte told the Charlotte Observer they'd drop out of the Opportunity Scholarship Program if they had to admit a gay student. 
Now, at a time when our public schools that do in fact serve all students, regardless of religion or special needs or sexual orientation, are woefully underfunded, do we really have a billion dollars to spare for a program like this? That's it for this week's Education Matters. Next week, we're going to look at how our public schools are supporting some of its most vulnerable students, including uh, our students of uh, undocumented immigrants, as well as our LGBT students. So please tune in next week. Thanks for watching this week, and we'll see you soon.